Well, good morning. Merry Christmas to y'all. Uh, whether Christmas or not, it's always good to be together with God's people on this day. So the last time I was looking at pictures this morning, the last time that Christmas fell on a Sunday, uh, we took pictures because I'm married to Donna. Um, and it was funny to look back because um, though I, I still had a little bit of hair and Elliot had none. So it's funny how a few years can really flip those roles, isn't it? Um, Man, it really is a privilege, though, to get to bring the word this morning on Christmas. Um, you know, I'm kind of at an advantage because I didn't have to think about, like, man, what are we going to preach about through all of Advent? It was like, here's the entirety of Scripture. You can cherry pick any text that you want on Christmas morning. And so that's what I did. I, I took the easy one. I took Luke 2. All right. Luke 2 is a story um, that we've actually sung a lot about this morning. It's where we find the story of the angels coming and telling the shepherds, hey, a Savior has been born. And so this morning, we're going to look at that text. And as we do, I want us to think a little bit about who exactly was it? Like, who are these people that the angels are proclaiming this great news to? And as we do... Let's take some time considering, or really trying to see ourselves in the shepherds. How do we relate with them? Second, let's look at the response of the shepherds. And lastly, let's close by looking at what exactly does this message mean for these shepherds, and what exactly does this message mean for us? We'll look at the first 21 verses in Luke 2. Will you follow along with me as I read? It says there, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and she laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, and it will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them considering this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary, she treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Church, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for it. I want you all to 
kind of picture a scene, kind of try to imagine yourself in this scene. Let's say one day, for whatever reason, you're driving down a dirt road that's like a few miles outside of town. And for some reason, you have to pull over to the side of the road. And as you do, you look over and you realize that there is a mobile home sitting a few yards off the road. And uh, let's just say it's seen some better days, okay? You notice that there are a handful of cars parked outside that um, definitely have not moved in a while. There's like four or five like random breeds of dogs running around. As you survey the yard, you're like, there's lots of random things about. And as you look over, you see there's a fire burning in the yard, an assortment of lawn chairs out there, and some people sitting in them watching the fire burn. As you look, you notice the guys um, haven't shaved in a few days, and everybody kind of looks like they might have missed a shower or two. Okay, we got this in our minds, right? As you picture this scene of your mind, did any of you find yourself thinking like, oh yeah, that kind of describes me. Or find yourself thinking like, yep, I have found my people. That's what that would mean to me. Okay, I want you to think about the words that you might use to describe this scene if you were describing it to someone. Think about the words that you might use to describe the people that you're picturing in your mind. And the way that many of us probably think about the people in this scene that I've described, and that's the way that a lot of people would have thought about these shepherds that we find in Luke 2. See, shepherds at this time and in their society, um, they were far from the social elites, all right? They are actually like the lower class. They often, like we think of shepherds as what do they do? Well, they have sheep and they own these sheep, but that actually usually wasn't true. They were tradesmen who would watch the flocks of the more affluent. They usually didn't get paid in cash either. Most of the time there was like this bartering system where it's like you can have some of the sheep or you can have some of the wool and then they would have to try and go and sell this then to get their money. But here's the problem. There was a stigma that surrounded them that they were thieves and so people didn't really want to do business with them. Their testimony in court often wasn't trusted and they were usually seen as a flight risk because of the nature of their work. They would live in fields so their hygiene wasn't the best and let's face it, they lived around sheep so they smelled like dirty sheep. They're, they're in many ways just the outcasts of their society. This is who we find here in Luke 2, keeping watch over the flocks. It's not the cute, like, big-eyed, precious moment shepherd boy that we find on Hallmark cards, right? Does that date me a little bit? Yeah, I appreciate it. But what we find is a rough-around-the-edges group of social outcasts. And this is who God sends the angels to, to announce that the Son of God has taken on flesh to dwell among us. And as we think about who these shepherds were, as we think about their reputation, as we think about their place in society, we might find ourselves asking, why? Why would God choose to tell these fools first? Like, okay, they can have the news, but first? Really? First? And here's what I wonder. Do we fail to see ourselves as these shepherds? Like, whenever we read the Bible, oftentimes we try to place ourselves in the text, right? Like, okay, where, where am I at? As we read this text, are you like, oh, yeah, it's these stinky outcasts. This is me. The angel says to them, 
Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you, you shepherds, a Savior is born. Christian, as you read these words, do you consider, like, the angel is not speaking his own words. Like, he is speaking the words of God. He is speaking them to these shepherds. And the exact same message that they received 2,000 years ago is the exact message that God has for you today. The angel said to them, hey, to you, the lowly, the needy, the overlooked, the looked down on, the outcast, the one who has the reputation, the one who probably carries with them a great deal of shame, the one who knows themselves a sinner. The angel is saying, yeah, to you. I bring good news of great joy that a Savior has been born. These terms that I use, lowly and needy and overlooked, this is how the shepherds likely would have seen themselves. This probably would have been how they would have described themselves. And I wonder, as you think about yourself, as you look at yourself, would you use some of those same terms? Like, how many of you feel at times like you were needy? How many of you sometimes just feel overlooked, maybe even by those that you love the most? How many of you feel like outcasts? Maybe not from society at large, but maybe an outcast from your family. Maybe an outcast from that group that you really want to be a part of. Maybe you're like, nope, don't feel any of those ways. Got it going on. Thank you very much. But you ever felt shame? Maybe shame for something you've done. Maybe shame for something you even did a long time ago. Do you feel shame, man? Do you feel shame like for the way you look, even? Some of us know what that's like, don't we? Do you ever just feel like a sinner? Do you ever feel like no matter where you turn, like your sin is just right there staring you in the face, like there is nowhere you can get away from it? If you've ever felt any of these ways, then you know, at least in some capacity, what those shepherds felt like. And yet God is saying the same thing to them that he is saying to you. He's like, hey, unto you is born a Savior. Imagine being these shepherds that night. Imagine being out in this field, okay? Like, you're outside of town. It's probably dark, quiet. Like, the most light you might have is a small fire. And all of a sudden, an angel shows up. Which in and of itself is, I mean, changing your evening, right? But it's not, it says it's not just an angel, but that the glory of the Lord is shining around them. So uh, we go from like darkness to middle of the day bright. Imagine what that would have been like. And it says they're filled with great fear. You're like, that's probably true. And nobody play like you wouldn't be. Imagine the calm that they're in. And then all of a sudden it's disturbed by this heavenly being and this great light shining. In that moment, they felt fear because they're encountering something. They know it's like, ooh, this is far beyond my capacity to control. But in that moment, the glory of God is not just shining on them. It's not just shining on their exteriors. It's actually shining into. It's actually shining through them. Meaning like in that moment, they are being made aware of their unholiness as they experience just a peak of the true glory of God. And you know what they've probably felt besides just scared? They probably felt exposed. Have you ever been at home, 
like just like on a weekend day or something, and all of a sudden your doorbell rings. I'm sure some of y'all, it's like, yeah, I don't really care. But if you're like me, immediately your anxiety is like way up here. You're like, who is here? And you know what starts running through my mind? How many things, how many things are in my house that I'm about to be embarrassed of and judged for? Like, is my sink overflowing with dishes? Because yes, I have procrastinated doing them for the last four days. Has my nasty stinking dog like drug my dirty laundry drawers and all out into the living room for everybody to see? Is the person at my door about to ask if they can use my bathroom and my kid not flush the toilet? Right, like all of these things start running through my mind. You know why? Because in that moment I'm like, oh, who I am the parts of me that I don't really want people to see, who I am on an average Tuesday is about to be put on display for whoever randomly showed up at my house. I'm afraid I'm going to be exposed and rejected. And is that stuff stupid? Yeah, it is. Who cares if I have a bunch of dirty dishes? Y'all, I'm giving you a peek into how broken I am, okay? It makes us feel scared that when stuff like that happens, that we're going to be exposed and rejected for it. And you know, in situations like that, it's like, yeah, because that situation's out of your control. You're afraid you're going to be exposed and rejected. But don't we sometimes put ourselves in these situations? Like, don't we sometimes reveal things to people, secrets about ourselves, the parts we don't really want most people to see? Don't we sometimes reveal them? And it's like, man, we had control of that situation. And yet we exposed ourselves. And sometimes after you do it, don't you immediately feel like, ah, I'm going to be rejected. Here's the question that we're really asking. The question is, are you afraid that no one can see you to the top and love you to the bottom? We, this is a fear that people have. But you know what God is telling us? He's saying, I can see deeper into your soul, into like your very being, into the core of who you are. I can see there more deeply than you could ever imagine, yet I love you more than you could ever, than you could ever comprehend. That night as the shepherds experienced the presence of the angel and the glory of God shining around them, they were struck with fear because, man, they no doubt were afraid or maybe just realized, like, I'm being seen in a way that I never have before felt exposed and fearful and unworthy. But look, what does the angel say in that moment? Fear not. He's saying, look up, look up. Don't look down. Don't be terrified. Look up, look at me. Why? Because I brought you good news. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to bring you the greatest news that the world has ever known. What does he say? He's like, man, this is good news of great joy for all people. It's not just for the social elites like the Magi that we find in Matthew 2. No, it's for, it's for you. It's for you too, the social outcast, the one carrying the shame. It's for the sinner. Christian, it's for us. We are the lowly and we are the sinners. And the Bible tells us that because we are sinners, we are enemies of God. But God looked on us with mercy that he sent his son. The son of God condescended. He left the glory of heaven for us. And how does it tell us that the earthly life of the son of God began? It begins with him being refused lodging among men. 
And you know, as those shepherds looked at them, as the shepherds looked at that, it's like, man, he's been refused lodging. You know who else probably had? Them. Because nobody wanted those fools around. As they looked at this Savior who has refused lodging, I, I can see myself in him. This is someone who knows the pain and the hurt that I experience. He knows what I have endured. And after they have just encountered this multitude of angels and had a peek at the glory of God, they would know more so maybe than anyone what the Savior must have laid aside, the glory he must have left in heaven to come and be a Savior for them. And can you see yourself in the shepherds? Can you identify with their state of need? When you look at them, you're like, yeah, at the core, I may smell better and have a different job. I may not be a social outcast, but you know what? At the core, we have the same need. That's me. As we look at their story here, we see that what they experienced, it led them to respond. And what we see in verses 15 to 18 is the response of the shepherds. So a few weeks ago, Donna shows me this video of some friends of ours. For years, they've been trying to have a baby, and um, the wife had just found out that she's pregnant. Her husband's out of town. Um, husband's out of town, so she like sets up this scene like for the big reveal, right? And whenever he comes in, he sees it, and like the light bulb goes off. It's like, oh, oh, it's good news. And so like it elicits a response. Like he runs and he holds her tight. He starts crying as he should, right? Like it's it's a it's a response to good news. And we know that feeling, right? Like we all respond to good news of different things. I mean, like, our team wins. We have a response. If you're a kid and it snows outside and school's on, you sit there watching the news, waiting for your school to come across the bottom. Unless I, too, just dated myself again, it's like, no, bro, that's a push notification nowadays. But whatever the case is, right, like, you get the news like school is out. And what does it do? It elicits a response of joy. Maybe even today as you open gifts and realize you get the thing you want, like it elicits a response. Like if you're Elliot, like you scream and run around the house and things like that, right? Like we know, we know that this is how it works, a response to good news. With the shepherds that night, as, as the angels leave and they again find themselves in the darkness, just themselves and the sheep. Let's be real, they no doubt stood there in silence for a minute, like, wasn't just me that saw this right. But then what do they do? Since they look at each other, and what do they say? They say, dude, let's go. Let's go and see. And so they go and they see, and not only that, it says that they go and tell others what they had seen. You know what they didn't do? They didn't stand there in the field waxing eloquent, eloquent about how great this experience was. They didn't stay there and just discuss it among themselves. But instead, they exhorted each other. They pushed each other, each other on to go and find the baby that had been born. Man, this is what we should be doing as believers. We should be exhorting, meaning we should be urging and encouraging one another on in our ordinary day-to-day -day lives. Like on average Tuesdays, when you're talking to your friends, like, hey man, I know your marriage is hard. I see that. I'm here for you. I'm praying for you. I'm loving you. Hey, I know that things are great. Pray that things continue to be great. Remember God in the midst of it. Hey, I know you have six kids that are in eight activities apiece. 
you barely make enough money to keep the lights on, but you feel like you need to continue to do all these things. I know that your marriage is hard. I know that you feel exhausted. I know, I know, I know that life is hard. I want to partner with you. I want to help you however I can. Keep going. God is with you. We should be doing that, like encouraging one another in daily lives, and we should be encouraging one another in our walks with Jesus, reminding one another of the promises that he has given to us. I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. I'm using these hard things in your life to make you look more like my son, that I will, <laughs> that I will make you look more and more like Jesus until the day of glory. We should be urging one another on. Luke 2 tells us that the shepherds did not allow the word of God to pass away or to lose, to lose meaning after the moment had passed. Instead, it permeated their lives. It led them to action. Christian, let me ask you something. When today is over, when Christmas is over, when all the presents are open, when all the food is ate, when everybody's gone back home, when your tree is back in the attic, Will you let the glory of the incarnation, will you let the glory of Jesus being born, will you let the glory of that fade from your mind? Will you let the glory of the Son of God becoming man and dwelling among us just kind of become another random fact that you believe, but that doesn't really do anything for you on a daily basis? The danger for us, the further that we get away from this season, is that as there's less talk about the birth of Jesus, as it's kind of like less socially acceptable, as there's less like manger scenes everywhere, that we can kind of lose sight and be distracted from the wonder of Jesus. This could have been, man, this could have been a danger for the shepherds. Think about this scene that they see out in the field. And as they say, let's go find this baby. Where do they find him? Dude, it's not in a palace. It's not even in a house. He's in a feeding trough. Yet nothing about this, nothing about this prevents them from admiring and praising God because they kept God's glory before him and they revered the words that he had said. Christian, do you fail to keep your gaze steadfastly on God? As I do. I often turn my gaze from the glory of God and you know whose glory I turn it to? I don't always revere his word as I should. Instead, I revere the words of other people. And then I wonder why I don't admire the Savior as I should. Do you do the same? Do you turn your gaze from the glory of God to your own? Do you revere the words of others more than the words of God? Every person alive has been created to glorify and enjoy God, but this is only done as we keep our gaze fixed on him and give his word the reverence that it alone deserves. Y'all, as we keep our gaze fixed on God, it will lead us to respond in the same way that the shepherds did, with praise. It leads us to praise, and it leads us to, to tell other people just as they did. Man, telling people about the work that God is doing in your life, it takes faith and it humbles us, but it is the right response for what he has done for us. This year, as you look back, can you see the work that God has done in your life? Has it led you to praise him on a monthly, weekly, or daily basis? 
Have you shared it with others? As you share that work that God is doing in your life with other believers, it can be encouraging to them. And as you share it with those who not yet profess the name of Jesus, the Bible tells us it can actually be used to stir faith in them. What's your response? What will you do? This text, in this text, we've seen ourselves, hopefully seen ourselves, in the shepherds. We've seen the response that they have had and the response that we too should have. And lastly, let's look at what does this all mean? What is this good news really? What did it mean for the shepherds and what does it mean for us? Do you know why we often receive specific gifts? It's because we have a need. So like if someone gifts you socks, it might be because they do your laundry and they're like, there are holes at both ends. These have reached their max use. Sorry, dad. Or like maybe this morning, like guys, you unwrap the box that's the special trimmer right? We know the trimmer. And what someone who loves you is saying, your ear hair is out of control. It is time. It is time to get that right. Or your nose hairs are becoming their own mustache and that needs remedy, right? Like sometimes gifts are given because a need needs to be met. What the incarnation, what the coming of Jesus means for us is that we have a need. We have a need to be reconciled. We have a need to be made right with the Father. It means that we need our sin and our shame and our guilt taken away. The incarnation doesn't only mean that. It also means that, yes, you need this taken away, but that there's nothing you could ever do that would be enough. What we celebrate at Christmas, it's not time off work. It's not gifts. It's not even our families. All these things are great, but that's not what we're celebrating. As believers on Christmas, we are celebrating the solution to our greatest need. 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, among the animals and in a room that was doing nothing to reflect his glory, the creator and sustainer of the universe was humbly born to be the remedy for the need that those lowly shepherds had, that the majestic magi had, that Mary and Joseph had, that you have, and that I have the need to be forgiven and made right with God. What does the birth of Jesus mean for us? It means, Christian, salvation has arrived. It means the long-awaited for Messiah has come. And he not only came, but he did the work that he came to do. At the cross, he finished the work he came to do. And the Bible tells us that one day he's going to return. But until he returns, we live in this constant season of Advent. We're awaiting that day when he returns and when he forever wipes away the effects of sin. Jesus has come. He has secured salvation for his people. And today we get to not only celebrate his coming, but we get to look forward to the day when he returns. Not as a baby in a manger but as a conquering warrior king. When he returns, the effects of sin will be wiped away. And you and I will forever get to live and reign with him in glorified bodies 
and forever get to look and gaze upon his glory and for all eternity praise him for the work that he has done for us. Let's pray together. God, you, you were good. You looked on us and said you were hopeless. You were sinful. There is nothing that you will ever be able to do to meet your greatest need. God, we thank you that you looked on us with mercy and said, I will send my son. Jesus, we thank you that you were willing to come to do the work that we could not do, that you were willing to, that you were willing to pay the penalty for our sin. Not only pay for our sin, but also to give us your righteousness. Spirit, we thank you that you, and that you apply that to us. We thank you that you continue to be at work in us, making us look more like Jesus. We thank you for the hope that we have that one day sin will be wiped away and that we will for all eternity get to behold your glory and reign with you. This Christmas Day, we pray that we would not lose sight of what we are celebrating, that we, man, that we would be, man, that we would just be blown away by the fact that the Son of God became man to meet our need. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your church. We thank you for this time now. Pray that you would bless the rest of this day. We pray that you, man, we pray that even now we would see Jesus as more beautiful as we prepare to come to the table and feed upon him. We bring all this before the throne in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Six.